0: This episode of the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast is sponsored by AWS Energy. AWS brings the most advanced and secure cloud services and deep industry expertise across energy, utilities, and sustainable energy sectors. Together with a broad partner ecosystem, AWS is accelerating the energy transition through practical innovations to deliver energy efficiently, reliably, sustainably, and responsibly, Learn more at aws.amazon.com slash energy.
1: Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low carbon, high energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity.
0: Hello and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Batier. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I am here today with Heather Johnson, CEO of Ingenium. Heather and Ingenium work in the not-so-often-thought-about business of hazardous waste disposal. Today, we are going to bring awareness to this Part of the industry, we're going to talk about how Ingenium is facilitating new solutions in this space, and then we are going to extrapolate what the impact is of of hazardous waste and of new disposal technologies, and how that could have impact at the kind of at the at the company scale and at the societal scale. So. Heather, thank you for joining me on the show today. If you would, please share with me and the audience your background and a quick introduction to Ingenium.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Joe. Um, I'm excited to be here today and appreciate the opportunity to share the not-so-thought-about industry of hazardous waste, as you described. I think people rarely think about it, if ever. So yes, I am Heather Johnson, CEO of Ingenium, and I have been in the hazardous waste industry For 27 years, pretty much my entire career has been in this space. Uh, I think back to when I started, I had no idea what hazardous waste was, and it's amazing, 27 years later, I still don't know everything. Uh, But nonetheless, NGDM is a hazardous waste management and transportation company. We specialize in uh, hazardous waste disposal, and really, more importantly, looking at sustainable solutions to dispose of hazardous waste. So when you think of hazardous waste, these are things like, um, from a household standpoint, can't go in your regular trash, things in your garage, like your paints, uh, aerosol cans, pesticides, those type of things. We work with businesses uh, in the manufacturing space, research and development, and other industries that are using chemicals in their processes or their research. And ultimately, when they no longer have a use for them, they need to go somewhere else. Most often uh, they go out for disposal.
0: Okay. So hazardous waste, basically anything that we don't want to throw in the trash. Um, is that a, a governmental regulation and definition? Or is that something that is kind of been deemed by society as what is considered hazardous and we just know naturally don't throw that out like where where is that line where is that definition coming from and, and and I guess just to make sure we understand is there a a a hard and fast definition for hazardous hazardous waste
2: yeah that's a loaded question so let's unbundle it a little <laughs> bit because there's a lot there's a lot in that that has um, multiple answers so, First and foremost, hazardous waste is defined by a federal regulation. So it's very specific and complicated. Uh, Different items have different regulatory requirements. And so there's a lot um, in that that education is necessary. Outside of the federal regulation, all of the states have their own regulations. So some materials that may not be considered federally regulated hazardous waste still have to be managed specially by state regulation. So California has some of the strictest regulations and therefore what might be able to go into the trash in other states cannot in the state of California. And uh, furthermore, you talk about a societal movement. There's a lot of things um, that shouldn't go in the trash, but they require education. So when you're in in your home and you're using different things you likely don't understand that they have uh, hazardous components and you may be throwing them in your trash examples would be um, batteries batteries should not go into the trash they contain acids and lead and and other metals and and hazardous constituents Uh, but a lot of people don't know that and so they'll just you know empty a flashlight or some other battery operated object and throw them into the trash aerosols, paints, paints are, a lot of paints are flammable. Some paints have lead contamination. So it just depends on, on what it is and where it's coming from, how it's governed and regulated.
0: Okay. That is helpful for, for kind of laying down that baseline and, and helping us understand I guess I'm curious when we talk about batteries as a, as a, as a foot in the door, because the, where I'm at in Dallas, I've looked it up according to, according to waste management, whoever, whoever runs Dallas, the Dallas disposal, they say, put the batteries in the trash. Cause that's, that's where they're going to go. And I guess it, but I've always been taught coming from the Chicagoland area, you don't throw away batteries. You, you have to take them somewhere and and recycle them. Why is there a difference there? And, and I think maybe more importantly, why, what should we be doing? Or maybe why should we be thinking about this, these kind of questions?
2: I think it's interesting that, uh, you're able to throw your batteries in the trash. I would say potentially your trash collection company may be separating them out on their end and they're just making it easier for you uh, in your home not having to do that on your end. I'm not sure um, because batteries shouldn't go into the trash. And it goes back to what I mentioned about states having their own regulations. And it's interesting to note differences from Chicago to Dallas to to California. So um, I think I think overall, over time, as we get better as a society, understanding what we're throwing into the trash and what ultimately happens to it, uh causes us to behave differently. Right? It's 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 education first. And then of course it's what else can you do with it? I mean um at the end of the day if Dallas area is telling you to throw it in your trash You'd have to go out of your way, I think, to figure out an alternative option, would you not? And wh- how yep. would you go about that? And then, what's your level of motivation? Uh, the list goes on.
0: Yeah, yep. Well, I think that brings up a really good point of of that idea that we I would have to go out of my way, and and I actually I do go out of my way. I have a container full of lead acid batteries that. I can't figure out where to take them because I don't want to throw them in the trash, but home Depot won't take them. If you go to a regular recycler, they won't take them. So I've been driving around with them in my car now for, for months. Well, maybe not months, maybe a month. And so I guess it, it really actually feels hard to be doing hazardous waste the right way as a, as an individual consumer. And I can only imagine that for companies, it is, it is significantly larger and harder because they're producing it on, on a company-wide scale as opposed to an individual scale. The question there is, what, what are some of the challenges? Just like what we're talking about now, are there additional challenges when a company is looking at hazardous waste disposal?
2: Yes. And before I answer that, I want to tell you that many cities have household hazardous waste programs. You can look up in the Dallas area and see if there's one available to you. They'll do uh, maybe once a month or even every weekend, depending on the city where you have the ability to go and drop off your household hazardous waste and get it off of your hands. Keep it out of your car as those things heat up. I'm not sure what that means. But nonetheless, um, hopefully the Dallas area has something like that for you. As far as your question on larger scale with companies, businesses, you know, they're faced with the challenge of operating their businesses and hazardous waste uh, would otherwise be considered a nuisance. You know, it's not what they're doing, but it's a result of what they're doing. And uh, one of the biggest challenges, I think, is simply keeping up with regulation, So, what's happening in your business processes that might be resulting in hazardous waste, and what's regulated today may be different, more stringent tomorrow. So, having somebody on your staff that understands and and can keep up with these ever changing regulations. Smaller companies, you know, uh, team members wear multiple hats and they don't necessarily have uh, hazardous waste and environmental health and safety as their main job description, but nonetheless, the responsibilities of that role, in addition to whatever else they're doing, as opposed to larger companies, they'll have, you know, a full-time person responsible for this stuff or multiple people because there's so much you have to know and understand surrounding hazardous waste.
0: How often do regulations change in this space?
2: I I would say often, I I can't really quantify that and say every month, but I can tell you that as we gain knowledge and understanding of some of the hazards we're working with, more things become regulated over time. So it's not that we find less things being regulated and it's easier. We find more things being regulated.
0: Yeah, I I'm thinking about somebody who has been in whatever industry for 20 or 25 years, and maybe they they have a set way of doing things. And I could see that as, as potentially being a hindrance in something like this, where over those 25 years, what they started as and how they developed their processes, they may be good for the 1980s, but now it is it is potentially not a, not a, a up to par solution.
2: Yes. I would agree with that.
0: So we've talked about kind of the, the challenges and the potential increasing in difficulties or, or how hazardous waste disposal can be, can be thought about. What are, what would you have to say for, Somebody, let's go back to that 25-year veteran who maybe they want to, they see a process that they can do better. So they want to start their own business, but maybe they don't have the experience in the regulation side. They just have the experience on the technical side. How, how could somebody like that be be making sure they're in compliance as a first step?
2: That's a good question. And I think um, you don't know what you don't know, right? So you're asking, who can you find out what you need to know from? And it would be a company like Ingenium that you could seek out and uh, we could help educate you on regulation and understand what your processes are, what's resulting from them and what you need to do with that information. We can manage the programs for them or we can uh, set the programs up on their behalf and they can manage them. Businesses have options. Uh, and, and typically what I see is smaller businesses, they rely on outside consultants to help them understand what they need to do. And again, as they get bigger and they can afford the full-time headcount on their payroll, then it makes more sense for them to have somebody expert in-house.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I one of the things that, that really struck me about Ingenium is the is the way that you look at everything and kind of have this holistic evaluation idea. And I think the the first thing I saw was was waste energy production. So waste to energy using here talking about hazardous waste can we uh, dig into that a little bit more what what exactly are some of these new ideas or new i guess let me take a step back what is the kind of current industry standard for hazardous waste what can you so we're disposing of it what does that actually mean what are those processes what's the industry standard
2: yeah, so when you, when you go back, talking about these people from 25 years ago, historically, uh, waste was either burned or buried. So um, if you could put it in a landfill, you did, because it was less expensive than burning it. Not everything by regulation can go into the landfill, unfortunately. So you have no choice but to burn it instead, and it, it's much more costly. Well since then in the 80s and 90s and moving into uh, 2000 and beyond sustainability has become a topic of interest and trying to understand what else can you do with your waste that might be a little bit better for the environment and waste energy is one of those technologies where you can take a waste and you can uh, burn it for energy It, it becomes a fuel And so uh, that's thought to be a little bit better than just typical incineration. Then there's a technology called fuels blending, and that's where some of your chemicals can be uh, blended and uh, used as a secondary petroleum in uh, cement kilns. So instead of using natural resources, it's an improved technology for hazardous waste. So different things are evolving um, and allowing for options, if you will, on the hazardous waste. One of the things Ingenium focuses on is finding more sustainable technologies. So what else is out there? What are people working on maybe it's small scale right now, but what's promising that's better uh, than burning, burying or even waste to energy uh, as an alternative to manage hazardous waste?
0: To me, the idea of waste to energy is is like the end of the road for that it's like we're talking about reduce reuse recycle waste energy is like the final step you can recycle it into a little bit of power but then then it's gone so if i'm hearing you correctly it's almost you're alluding to the idea of of turning that waste into something that's more circular in a circular economy putting that back into use am i am I reading between the r- lines correctly there? Is there opportunities there?
2: I, I would say, yeah, you're on to something with that. And I could tell you it's interesting. We have a program in California. It's specific to uh, the biotech, pharmaceutical sector, but um, we take waste that a lot of them are classifying. they're over classifying. This would be um, medical waste, biohazard. And um, they're treating it as uh, infectious when it's not. And we found um, in the regulation an opportunity to show them they don't have to do that. That industry likes to uh, minimize their risk. I say they don't want their name in the paper until they want their name in the paper, and that's usually with good news, not bad. So they tend to overclassify and overdo things to the extent that they're not gonna have some bad press. And what we've been able to do through Waste to Energy is uh, show them how we can take that material out of the regulatory arena and actually uh, provide them a better result. Because when they classify it as infectious waste, they have to treat it by regulation as such, which ultimately um, the material ends up in the landfill. In this case, it's being burned. And then further, uh, we show them how uh, their material is being used to produce energy on the grid and how many homes they can power with the waste that they're taking out of the landfill. So it's really cool to demonstrate, um, if you look at it differently, what you can do and what it means.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's an interesting way to look at it. Instead of instead of being that waste, it really is. It is a a new feedstock for something mm-hmm. potentially. Yeah. and figuring out how to use it I feel like there's a question there but I'm not sure exactly what are there are there other examples of of how you how you were able to see something like that 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 people were putting in as waste but you're like wait a second no that's that's a perfect segue into this power source or into this, different industrial process
2: yeah um i probably have millions of examples because we've been looking at things like this for for many many years we we had a customer that had a waste stream that was good for waste energy but it contained uh some aluminum that uh, needed to be treated differently and uh we actually this was this was a bigger deal than just um, changing the classification. We worked with the city that they were in to get them to agree that they could remove that aluminum material. Um, and by doing so they were able to send the aluminum in for recycling and then the rest of the waste stream to waste energy. And uh, the added benefit to that was they got a ton of money back in return for their metal recycling. Uh, and they had a waste uh, lesser cost on the waste disposal because the volume of the material was less but the treatment was different by which they could spend less so it was it was a huge win on so many levels
0: yeah yeah that sounds like a, a great opportunity when it comes to these are there ever problems with the regulations in terms of I guess the, I hate to say it, but overregulation that that limits these kind of opportunities?
2: Yes. And and I think what you're saying is, are there instances where you might have something that there is no option for in terms of uh, recycling? Yes, there are certain chemicals that they're just so toxic and nobody wants them. There's nothing else you can do with them. So you're left with the only option, which is incineration, burning them
0: okay and I, and i guess thinking through the the example from the the pharmaceutical companies where they personally were overclassifying their materials so that they could they could essentially be safe in terms of making making sure they don't have bad pr from that regard is there ever a situation where or anywhere where there are current regulations that say uh, substance XYZ needs to be classified at this level, which makes it so you can only incinerate it and it has to be disposed of. But in reality, maybe it's not that bad and that's just faulty, obsolete regulations.
2: I think if the regulation defines Something specifically, until the regulation changes, you have to abide by the regulation. But in a lot of instances, you have options. So, uh, and one thing I should mention is we also look to try to find homes for chemicals that maybe one company doesn't need any longer, but they still can be useful. And so uh, finding a recipient of those chemicals to continue the use of them before they become a waste. So as long as they're in good condition, in a lot of instances, bigger companies have quality control issues and uh, they limit the time they can have these chemicals on their shelves, but it doesn't mean these chemicals can't be useful in some other sector. So we call it our orphan chemical program, but that way uh, we can take chemicals out of the waste world entirely So uh, the regulation doesn't apply because until you call it a hazardous waste, it's not a hazardous waste. Hmm. And um, so being mindful of that and understanding that perhaps this is just in your inventory and somebody else can use it in the future. Again, don't designate it as hazardous waste. Once you do that, regulation applies. But until then, uh, you have even more options if you understand what you have and who may benefit from it.
0: Yeah, that is that's really exciting. And to think about the idea of, of of being able to pass along your chemicals that you're not going to use. So on the Ingenium website, there are maybe half a dozen no, there's maybe a dozen or more different little I guess service offerings that you have on the website and I I guess I, I'm just curious when we're talking about this is there like a, a are each of those focused on a different sector or a different different process or is it kind of all wrapped up into one big large discussion
2: Both I would say um you could have a lot of crossover between, uh, industries. A lot of it may be volume specific. So, um, Mm -hmm. it just depends what, what are you generating and how much of it are you generating? Uh, whether it's liquid or solid is relevant. I mean, there's so many different factors, uh, that help determine what your options are. And then are you contaminating with additional material, you know, uh, is it pure or you know are you mixing things in your process I would I would say there's not one answer
0: Okay Okay so let's let's say I I am a company that and I I can I can add more flavor if that makes it easier but say I'm a company and I I don't really right now I'm just landfill or incinerating all of my stuff and i want i've just set new net zero carbon goals i want to do an energy audit i want to do all these things to become a a more environmentally conscious company but i have no idea where to start what should i do
2: i if you called me and you said that you have new goals and what are your options i would have a lot to tell you because um In Genium, in addition to being a hazardous waste transportation and disposal management company, we've started to focus on exactly what you're talking about. And um, we've actually put a program in place, we call it Destination Zero. Uh, But the idea is to get into your business and understand what it is you're doing today. So, you know, all things being equal, you may be doing the same thing you were doing 25 years ago, or along the way, you may have been keeping current with trends and be further along than another business. But it starts with a baseline understanding of what's happening right now, uh, including you know not just hazardous waste, but all waste coming out of your company. So what's happening at, at the individual desk level? What are people throwing in their trash? All of that gets taken to a consolidation bin, the dumpster. And from there, uh, we could get into your dumpster and determine what what is being thrown in there. So if you really wanted to know what your options are, I think it it requires you to understand what you're doing today. Uh, But if you didn't want to do that, and you just said, here's my hazardous waste, Uh, what can you do with it different from what I'm doing with it? Then I can tell you, well, just based on what you have in front of you, here's your option. If you want to look upstream at your processes and what's at the beginning, talking about um, why do you do this this way? Do you have to do it this way? Can you change some of the materials you're using on the front end? It's a big conversation. and, And a lot of it comes down to what are you willing to change, if anything, to hit your goals?
0: Yeah, yeah. So there are a lot of different moving parts there. So let's assume that I'm gonna do this full audit from the desk all the way to the dumpster and beyond. What from your experience doing this? What is the actual amount that 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 a company could reduce? And I, I am also curious from a from an individual standpoint as well. But let's start with company perspective. How much could a company actually change their if they had all buy-in, and how much could they reduce their their waste streams?
2: I've I've seen it over ninety percent. I I think it's amazing how much potential there is. I, are you familiar with composting?
0: I am. I am familiar with composting.
2: Okay, so that that's. That's getting a lot more traction now, too, in terms of the food waste and um, being greener with that. So, to your question about if they, <laughs> how how much would a company have to do? Some things are um, time consuming. You know, you have to put effort into them and focus on them and manage them accordingly. But if everybody was all in on it, you could make it happen.
0: Yeah. Now, this may not be something you can share, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is this always a a profitable um, a profitable endeavor for companies? As in, if they find ways to reduce all of their all of their waste streams, get to that ninety percent solution, does that actually save them money, or is it a good business decision, or is it ultimately something that is a good societal societal decision that they have to make that, that um, differentiator on.
2: I can answer that question and I can tell you that the answer is no, it's not always um, less expensive, save them money or um, a good business decision from a financial standpoint. But it's the right thing to do from a societal standpoint so it may actually cost them more but it's understood the long-term benefits of the investment if you will to uh, waste reduction
0: okay yeah it's something that that i hear coming up more often now is where is that where is the economic impact versus the societal impact Versus from a, from a ethos of your company and how that ultimately drives more revenue or more business and, and brings people in because they like what your company stands for. I think there's, there's a value metric there that, that I have not asked anybody to quantify, but I, I am curious if there, is a, if there is a quantifier there that you could end up seeing one day or somewhere.
2: And I think you're absolutely right as it pertains to that, uh, specifically in, in, you know, who's gonna do business with you. Um, you're gonna pe- I know when we bid on customers, uh, we find that more and more they're asking questions about what we're doing as a business to be more sustainable. And it's becoming important in the decision-making process. I also can tell you that from a hiring standpoint, employees looking to come to work for us they want to know what we're doing as a business to be responsible and so i i think um to your point when we're doing these things i don't know that i could quantify it i don't know if anybody can yet i'm sure somebody probably has some metrics there but um i would absolutely agree just from what i'm seeing that that that's real
0: yeah very interesting and so let's talk about the individual again, just to make sure there's a, a good, a good hard take home message and advice on actionable steps. When an individual is thinking about how can they reduce their waste? What are some steps that they can do either from a personal energy waste audit, or just something simple, quick, and easy that they can do? What, Are any of those out there? What, what's something that I could do today to start being more zero waste?
2: I think it starts with understanding all the things that you have, even in your house. Right. Um, And, and looking, understanding what those items are and if there are better things you could use in lieu of. Right. So I think about nail polish remover as uh, something it's acetone. It's a chemical. Um, are there other nail polish removers that don't contain acetone? I think they are. Do they work as well? That's another challenge. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, I, I think just, you know, going through and inventorying what you have in your household. And if there are greener products that you can use in lieu of so that if you don't use them in their entirety and you're throwing them in the trash, you're, you're not throwing away major hazards. That's from a reduction standpoint. But again, you do have uh, the ability to separate your stuff and take it to a household hazardous waste program. I think most cities have them, as I mentioned. And um, at least you're not just putting hazards in your dumpster that are ending up in the landfill.
0: Yeah. Am I not supposed to throw away my nail polish remover?
2: Well, it's acetone. (laughs) So um, again, it's an education it's an education on what you're working with.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. Well, I I think this has been a great conversation. I think this is a good natural transition point into the final questions that I ask. These are the questions I ask all my guests. That first question being, what is a favorite book of yours that you would recommend?
2: I really like the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I think um, that book was written sometime in the mid-1950s, and it holds true today in um, being genuinely interested in people. It's just a really good book.
0: All right. I, I have gotten that one before, but I have not read it yet. I'm curious, Do you uh, have you reread it multiple times?
2: I have. And in fact, recently I downloaded the Audible, and they're actually updating it. Uh, it still has, you know, the major points and the message, but they update it to be current in today's leadership.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I was curious with with some of these, there are the the timeless facts and and timeless ideas, but now between now and the fifties, there's been significant change as far as social media, as far as podcasts, oh, yeah. and where and how we are communicating with people and i'd be curious to see if what updates they've added associated with that so the next question how do we get to net zero
2: we all work together (laughs) everybody has to do their part for sure um i think it requires buy-in uh across organizations, across communities, um, everybody just understanding again, what what we have in front of us, what options we have available to us and doing our part to bring them to fruition.
0: Yep, I like that. That is seems to be the, the common answer right now is communal buy-in and forward momentum. So now the last, last question is you actually get to ask me a question.
2: Okay. Well, I'm curious to know how you got into your podcast. What motivates you to do this?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the way I got in, I was listening to podcasts and one of them I was listening to was Oil and Gas This Week with with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. And on there, Mark said, we keep getting asked to start a renewables podcast and start talking talking about that. So eventually we're gonna have one. And so I emailed him at that time and said, hey, I'm interested in helping out any way I can. I've been doing geothermal research and I'm part of the geothermal industry and super excited about the idea of, of renewable energy and how oil and gas plays a role in all of it. And so we talked on the phone By the end of the conversation, he said, Okay, whenever we do launch this podcast, you need to be the host. And I said, Okay, I, I, sure, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And now, now we are into the third year of the podcast. This, this show, when it comes out, will be episode 111 or 112, something, something like that. And, and it's really, It's really enjoyable because I get to talk to very interesting people like yourself and hear a lot of really cool new technology, but also get those those little snippets of how do we actually decarbonize as a society? How do we get to reaching more environmentally friendly initiatives and goals? And and I think the way I explained it now, trying to answer this big large overarching question of how do we how do we continue to excel and live in our modern society and have all of our creature comforts and how do we get those to the rest of the world while also having abundant reliable resilient power because that's that's part of it that's almost the foundation of of modern society absolutely and then how do we do that in a in an environmentally healthy way so
2: that's awesome. Good, yeah. Good for you. I'm
0: trying. Yep. Thank you. Trying to help everybody understand how we can do that. That's the goal. I'm going to keep doing it until, until we have that answer. So if we hit net zero <laughs> podcast is over. <laughs> there you <go>. No more. <laughs> awesome.
2: Well, I appreciate you having me on because, um, as you said earlier, people don't really think about hazardous waste, but there is some relevance there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I and not to get too deep in the weeds here, but in some point in the future, we're going to start mining uh, landfills, and we don't want a bunch of, we don't want that to be for naught. Right. I think there's, I think there's a lot of value in landfills. Just being speculative here, but we, it's not going to be as valuable if it's all loaded with acetone.
2: Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not well
0: yeah Heather thank you for joining me on the show today before we sign off is there anything else you'd like to say
2: no thank you for the opportunity
0: well Heather thank you again for joining me and thank you everyone for joining us on this episode of the energy transition solutions podcast if you're enjoying the show share it with a friend and leave a review telling me what you're enjoying most or what you would like to hear more of If you want more news and energy-related stories, we have all sorts of energy-related podcasts on OGGN. You can find them by connecting with us on LinkedIn or visiting OGGN.com. If you're into stickers, I have a way to get you some from OGGN. Go to the show notes, find that one-question survey link, go fill it out, and if you do, we will send you some stickers. Finally, if you have any questions, comments, corrections, or have a story that you would like to share, send me an email. That email address is ets at OGGN.com. If you don't use email or the email is not working, find me on LinkedIn. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy.
1: Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.